Hey, good morning, Victory Life Church. Pastor Otto coming to you. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Hey, if I may, I'd like to just share a thought with you as we gather together as a worship team. It was apparent to me uh, to go to the scriptures for a word this morning. There's a great verse in Psalm 55, verse 22 that says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. I think it's necessary to share that with you this morning in the midst of so much uncertainty and so much turmoil. Uh, it seems uh, right to share with you that the Lord wants to carry our burdens, our cares, and our anxieties today. So may you be encouraged uh, by that admonition that we find in the scriptures and cast your cares upon him. Once again, thank you for worshiping with us today. It's my great privilege to welcome you. If, you are, this, if this is your first time visiting with us, we want to encourage you to go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on the New Here tab, and that'll take you to a prompt where you can fill out information about yourself and then once you fill that out and click submit, that, that will come straight to me, and I will communicate with you sometime this week. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship today. I have a few announcements that I want to share with you. Uh, we do have ongoing life groups that are meeting virtually. We have some that happen on Sunday mornings. We have one on Sunday night, a few on Wednesday night, and one that's starting up in a couple of weeks on Thursday night. We have topics being discussed on the book of Genesis, uh, on the book of Revelation. We have one that's starting this week on overcoming anxiety during COVID-19 and many, many more. Also, you can find these life groups on our main page. Just scroll down to vlchurch.com and you'll find a link there for life groups. Click on that and that'll take you to a listing of these groups that I've just mentioned. And you can click on the one that you want to sign up for and we'll make sure that you get connected uh, to that particular life group. In addition, I want to mention that every week, as you may have noticed, we have children's lessons that are coming out for our kiddos. And Pastor Spring and her daughter Jody have been preparing these lessons for our kiddos. And just wanted to remind you that those are, that those are coming to you via email. You can also find this, those on our website uh, in the same place where you would find our sermons and our worship service on Sunday morning. So tune in with your kiddos and encourage them to participate in those lessons because God is doing great things in the midst of our families and we want for that to be ongoing as well. Also, I want to mention something new that we're going to offer to you this week. Um, we're going to be writing up a discussion guide that is based on the sermon that Pastor Matt delivers on a weekly basis. This, this week will be our first one that we do. And so we're going to be sending that out with the email that comes to you this afternoon that has the entire worship service on it. So we encourage you to take this discussion guide and have a conversation with your family members about that which you just heard within this sermon. It's a great way to capture what God is doing in your heart in that very moment. And then what you can do is take those insights, take those uh, questions that you might have from the sermon and segue those insights and questions into our Facebook Live session that happens on Wednesdays uh, at, from 1 to 1.30. May I just remind you of our Facebook Live session that happens. Uh, we started it this past week, and we're going to continue this week for the you know, many subsequent weeks to come. 
It happens from 1 to 1.30, and every week we're going to talk about uh, the sermon that Pastor Matt just delivered that particular prior weekend. And so it's a great time to connect. It's a great, great time to uh, conversate with one another. And if you miss the session, you might be at work and you might be busy. You can always go back and view the recorded session on our Facebook uh, page. And if you have questions, you can submit those, and we'll make sure somebody gets back with you um, with your questions that you might pose uh, on that particular Facebook page. So once again, thank you for worshiping with us today. And as we transition into our time of worship, let's bow for a word of prayer together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. You are a God who is patient. You are a God who keeps no record of wrongs. You are a God who forgets and forgives our iniquities and transgressions. You are a God who came to us, you died for us, and you rose again for us. You did this that we might declare, praise be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Because of that, we have come to say to you, as the psalmist once did, you are my God, I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. We believe that this morning, and we declare it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him together today. He is our God. You alone, Lord. We worship you alone today.
Amen. This morning, we are victorious in Jesus Christ. He is alive and we live also. And that victory is in us when we call upon the name of Jesus. I pray you believe that this morning. But I know that these are tough times. And you might not be feeling that victory in your life. You might be feeling down. It's been weeks now and we've been isolated. And in that isolation, the enemy tries to creep in. He knows when he can get us alone that we're vulnerable. He knows when we're alone that we begin to listen to lies. And he wants to grab a foothold right now. It's his opportunity. Your vulnerability is his opportunity. But this morning, it doesn't have to be that way. Because there's also another opportunity. God the Father, through his son, Jesus Christ, wants you to call upon his name in your softness and vulnerability and isolation. The lies would tell you you're not going to make it financially. The lies would tell you that your, your relations aren't going to make it. Your job's not going to be there and your health's not going to be there. And he'll creep in in any other way he can too. But the promise of the Lord is this. He is our strength and our refuge and our ever-present help. He's been there for you before. He's there for you right now. And he's going to do it again.
stay the same. statement that you made about your commitment to us, in which case you said that the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You have proven this multiple times throughout the scriptures. You've done this multiple times in our lives. So we ask that you would continue to fight our battles And may we just be reminded of what you said to your people in 2 Chronicles 20. You told them, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because of what comes against you. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Thank you, Lord, for promising to fight our battles. We give them over to you this morning. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, once again, thank you for worshiping with us today. Isn't it great to be in God's presence and to be reminded of his faithfulness unto us? I think it's so good to be reminded of the fact that God is fighting our battles and carrying all of our anxieties and uncertainties uh, during this time in our world. Also want to thank our worship band for leading us today. You guys are amazing. Give them a shout out on Facebook or some other kind of messaging system because they are volunteering their time and I think they've done just an incredible job. I want to thank you for being just such an awesome church. God is still moving in our midst. This week I had the opportunity to talk with so many of you, many of you on the phone and all of you said that you're doing great. You said you're doing fantastic, and you you gave praise to God for how faithful he is in your life, and it was just so encouraging and inspiring to me to hear those words from you, and so thank you for being a great church. Thank you for being a great people, and we pray that he would just continue to work uh, within our church for the days and weeks to come. Well, God has been so good to us uh, to keep our church moving forward. Um, through also your tithes and offerings. And so if you have come prepared to give today, uh, you can do that right now if you would prefer to do so. Uh, We have a couple of different giving options. Uh, One way is to go to our vlchurch.com website, and you can go to the Give Here tab, click on that tab, and that'll take you straight to the prompts, and you fill out that information. It's real easy. You can also text to give. You text to the number 73256. The message needs to be VLC3833 and follow the prompts from there. Once again, thank you for giving to the things of God. Thank you for giving to Victory Life Church. Your giving is making a big difference, and so we say thank you. Let's pray together. God, we give to you today because you first gave to us. You are a giver, and as your people, we want to be giving back to you for what you have done in our lives. So take what we give that others might know that you once gave of yourself for them. That's our story. 
and we're sticking to it. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Victory Life. It's wonderful to be back with you. We are making all types of great plans for when we can gather back together here at the church property. We are so looking forward to seeing you in person. And beginning at the end of next week, maybe we'll have some of that out to you where we can meet safely and, and get back together and enjoy being a church community again. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we are in the second week of a study of the life of Abraham called Faith in Action. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to be in verse 11 and following today. Have you ever had an epic fail? You know, just one of those moments that you just wish you could get back you messed up, and it was just, you felt so foolish, you felt so dumb, and, and you wish you could get it back. I remember years ago when I was in high school, I had the honor of being the lead role in our, our production of Fiddler on the Roof. In fact, Victory Life Church, fun fact, seven people who go to Victory Life were in that production. So if you can find them all, I'll buy you an ice cream cone when coronavirus is over, if you find all seven people who are in Fiddler on the Roof. But Anyhow, it was a busy show. We had a lot going on, a lot of different things happening. And I remember one time in the middle of a live show, I picked up my milk cart. I went to center stage, just like this is center stage, front and center in front of hundreds and hundreds of people. The lights came up, and I was in the wrong scene. Didn't belong there at all. Wasn't supposed to be there. It was horrible. There were 50 stunned cast members behind me wondering what in the world Matt was doing at center stage. And I stood there frozen as they were frozen. And then some fast guy, some fast-thinking guy named Mike goes, well, good morning, Reptevia. And I said, good morning. And I picked up my cart and walked off stage, and the scene went on. Didn't belong there at all. It was goofy. It was stupid. I felt so dumb. It was an epic fail. Now, that's a fun epic fail. That's one you remember. Just go, what a bonehead I was. But I want to tell you, there are some epic fails in life that we wish we could get back. We wish we could take back. We wish we could change. And I want to show you today in our model for faith, Abraham himself, our father in faith, according to the book of Romans, the first one who responded to God as he should since Noah, and the one of whom it was said, this is the God of Abraham, this father of our faith, had an epic fail early in his life, early in his life with God. And I want to tell, tell you today, not only to just look at somebody's life and go, hey, they had an epic fail and feel good about that. That's not what we're going to do. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Abraham. We're going to look at what he did with this epic fail. And we're going to look at four steps to not fail like Abraham did, because he is our model, both good and bad. And we're also going to look at what God does in the midst of the failure it's a pretty sad story. It's a stinky story, but it ends up with a redemptive ending. Let's go ahead and read. Actually, we're going to be in verse 10 this morning from Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to see this epic mess and the reasons that it happened. Now, there was a famine in the land, it says. That was the land of Canaan, or modern-day Israel, where Abram was. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, that's his wife. Then they'll kill me, and they'll let you live. 
So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for the sake of her, he dealt with Abraham. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with a great plague because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is it that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she was my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. What a mess. I mean, last week we were just looking at the epic faith of Abraham. The fact that he would move his whole family from the land of Haran to the land of Canaan. The fact that he would put his financial security his, his relational safety, and his physical well-being in the hands of God. We were marveling at his faith. And now, in the same chapter of Genesis, we're marveling at an epic fail. This is astounding. But it also goes to speak on why the Bible is so real and why the Bible is so honest. Abraham is one of the heroes of the Bible, and they don't sugarcoat his failures. They don't sugarcoat the messes he gets in. And it's the same for heroes like David and Peter. They don't sugarcoat what happens with these biblical heroes. They were imperfect people like us. They failed. And oh, what a failure that this is. So let's go back through the story and see if we can make some sense of what happened. In the land of Canaan, there was a famine, the Bible says. Canaan was dependent upon, and Israel even to this day is dependent upon rains coming, coming off of the Mediterranean Sea. They needed the rain in order to survive. Apparently the rains hadn't come and a, and a famine had taken place. So Abraham goes down to Egypt because the Nile River Delta is not quite as dependent upon those rains in order to receive food because of the irrigation and, that, and the flooding that took place in the Nile River Delta. So they go down to Egypt. Now some commentators think that this is a lack of faith right here that the land that God showed Abraham was the land of Canaan. I don't know if I agree with that. I'm not sure that I agree with that. I don't know if this was a lack of faith. He was just going to find food. But what happens on the way there is what creates the problem. And I envision it happening something like this. They're walking down through the Gaza Strip. They're making their way towards Egypt. He looks over at his wife and goes, she is hot. Yeah, my wife is smoking. And then something takes root in his brain, and he says, oh no, my wife is hot, my wife is beautiful, someone's going to kill me for her. I mean, think about this for just a minute. He, 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 he has this moment, this ridiculous epiphany, that somehow the minute he gets to Egypt, they're going to kill him for his beautiful wife. Maybe he's thinking, I'm an immigrant, I'm going to have no rights Maybe he's heard tales of the Egyptians and their mean-spirited nature, but we don't have a lot in history or a lot in the writings to think that this type of thing was taking place regularly, but Abraham believes a lie. That's really what takes place here. Abraham believes a lie, one that he's concocted in his own mind. This is a way to get into a faithless mess because the lie is there because God has made him promises. 
God said to Abram, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. There's going to be a multitude of people who come from you. And Abram, who's moved from Haran and into Canaan, put his life in the hands of God, snatches his life right back from God and says, I'm going to take it from here. I don't trust that you're going to protect me in Egypt. I'm going to give you a little help. I'm going to make sure that anything that could befall me in Egypt is in, taken in my hands. And I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to have Sarai say that she's my sister. Now, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, he had to know what the, what, what the end of this would be if this was the truth. He had to know that somebody else was going to take Sarai as, his, as their wife. And Abram does it anyways. This is crazy. So what takes place? Well, a test comes. The famine comes. He begins to move to Egypt, and perhaps that test had provided just a little seed of doubt, just a little seed of doubt that God was going to take care of him. And that little seed of doubt grows to God's not even going to protect my life. And I'm willing to put my wife at risk for my personal safety, which is just insane. And of course, this is exactly what happens. They do see that Sarai is absolutely beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh then go to Pharaoh and say, hey, there's this beautiful immigrant woman. We've been talking to her brother. You want to take her into your household? And he does. And at any point, think about this, at any point during this entire charade, somebody could have said, no, 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 guys, that's my wife. Or if Sarai uh, could, could have at moment, one, no, no, no we, can't, we, can't, we can't go through with this marriage. I'm actually married to him. But they both go through with it. So they believe this lie that they're going to be killed. Not, not only do they believe a lie about God, that God won't protect them, but, but we find out at the end of the story that this is a lie altogether, that this would not have happened. And they go ahead and they treat Sarah as a commodity to protect Abram's wife. And it's right here in the Hebrew. It's so interesting. And you can see it in the English. You can notice back in verse 11, it says, Sarai, Abram's wife. But from that point forward, when the, when the, when the, when the plan is hatched, when the plan is hatched, from that point forward, she's just the woman. Look down in your Bibles. Look at it. From the time of uh, verse 11 to the plan that is hatched, where Sarah just becomes a commodity to save Abraham's life, she's just referred to as the woman because that's how he's treating her. It's not until God intervenes. It's not until it says, but God, or but the Lord in verse 17 is she referred to as Sarai, Abram's wife again. Because that's how God views her, but that's not how Abraham was treating her. Not only did Abram put no faith in the Lord during this situation, he also put his wife at great risk and was, was in a position that he uh, dishonored his wife terribly by hatching this plan, even though God still sees her as Sarai, Abram's wife. Interestingly enough, verse 17 is the turning point of the story. Abram and Sarai have been the key players. They've been in control of this epic mess until the point that it says, but the Lord. I, I love in the Bible when it says, but God or but the Lord, because you know, that means God's about to do something to clean up a human mess. But the Lord, who is rich in mercy, but God, who demonstrated his love for us in this, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh's household. 
God is not okay with what's taking place. He's not okay with the adultery that's taking place. He's not okay with the lie. He's not okay with the commoditizing of his, of his daughter, Sarah. He's not okay with what's taking place. And he afflicts the household of Pharaoh. You say, why would he afflict the household of Pharaoh? What did Pharaoh do wrong? Well, the Bible doesn't make huge distinctions between sin that you did on purpose and sin that you just fell into. Sin is sin. In fact, when you get into the sacrificial system in Leviticus, you see that the people of Israel made atonement for sin or, or, or they made sacrifices for sin that they knew about and sin that they didn't know about. And this was sin. This was multiple marriage. One of the first things that took place in the Bible, and one of the only times Genesis tells us what to think, was way back in chapter 2 when it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. I mean, the Bible lays out the ethic of true Christian or true faithful sexuality right there at the beginning of the Bible, and here we're in a multiple marriage situation, we're in an adulterous situation, we're in a lying, manipulative situation, and God's had enough. And somehow Pharaoh gets it through what takes place in his household, and he goes, I don't think that's really his sister. I, I think I know why this is happening. And he goes back to Abraham, and just as embarrassing as Abraham's lack of faith is that a pagan ruler chastises God's model for faith. A pagan ruler comes and chastises, comes and rebukes God's model for faith. This is an epic mess. Now, some people might look at this story and go, well, Abraham got rich, but it wasn't God doing the blessing. It was Pharaoh who did that. And at that point, is it worth it? Because his wife has been taken into the household of another man. And for those of you who may be thinking, well, maybe she was just a perfumer in the household of Pharaoh. Pharaoh dispels that in what he says to Abraham. He says, I took her as my wife. That's Hebrew for, we consummated this relationship. How dare you do this to me, Abraham? This is a mess. Now, the question is, how, how does Abram get there? How does Sarai get to this epic mess? Well, first a test comes. A test comes. The test is the famine. And oftentimes when we face a test in this life, we begin to wonder if God's really going to take care of us. We either turn to God to take care of us or we turn to our own ends. The second thing that takes place that leaves us in a faithless mess is that, is that the test produces fear in us. The test produces fear. We begin to get worried about our future. We begin to get worried about what's going to take place. And after that fear is produced, we start believing a lie. Abraham believed an epic lie. We find out that God would have protected Abraham, which we would have assumed would have happened anyways, but Pharaoh was not going to kill Abram for his wife. He wasn't going to do that. That wouldn't have happened. But he believes the lie because he faced a test that produced fear in him. And then, of course, a mess results. Abraham takes things into his own hands and creates this epic mess. You say, Pastor Matt, you seem to be being really mean towards these people. I'm not being mean. I'm just letting us know this is a mess. I mean, I don't think there's anybody here who has probably married off our wife to another man while we were still married to her. Anybody watching done, done that one? I mean, this is any, anybody, anybody here ever done something so immoral that, 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 that folks who did not have any sense of morality were rebuking us? And that might have happened. 
I mean, you say, why are you being so harsh? Well, just as much as I marvel at the faith of Abraham in the beginning of the chapter, I see something different at the end of the chapter, but I'm not being harsh to Abram and Sarai. You know what I'm realizing? Abraham and Sarai are you and me. I'm not being harsh. I'm looking at how we often respond in life the very same way that they did. We as Christians, we can vacillate between great faith and faithlessness so quickly. Maybe I can't speak for you. Maybe I can only speak for me. I personally can show great faith on Monday and have very weak faith on Wednesday. And usually it's become because a test comes, I begin to get fearful, a lie is believed, I discredit God by that lie, and I start taking things into my own hands and make a mess. It's hard to live this life of faith. It's not easy. If our model for faith had such an epic fail, we can have epic fails just like this, with not the same set of circumstances, but the same set of overriding principles that can create problems for us. Here's the good news. You want some good news? But the Lord. That's the good news. When Abram and Sarai are least worthy of God's grace, God gives them grace anyways. When Abram and Sarai prove themselves to be in a completely faithless position, God still proves himself faithful. He delivers them from this mess. He sets them free with provision and makes sure that his intended goals for them are not undermined, but that they move forward. I love what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. It says, even if we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Have you found yourself in a faithless position at some point in the last six weeks? Have you had a day, a couple of days, a week, a month, of just scrambling and trying to take things into your own hands? Have you been driven by fear? Has the enemy been whispering lies into your ear about your future and God's lack of care for you? Here's the good news. Even when we make a mess, even when we are involved in an epic fail, God is faithful. God continues to speak to us the language of grace, which is unmerited favor, Even when favor upon us is least merited, God is still speaking unmerited favor. And it gives us the opportunity to respond in faith next time when we didn't respond in faith this time. So what can we do to safeguard ourselves from being in a position like Abram and Sarai? How how can we use the model of their failure to safeguard against failures of our own. Well, the first is this. When the test comes, whatever it is, look to God first. The test for them was the famine. And we don't know that they didn't pray, God, give us food, God, give us answers. Maybe the answer was to go down to Egypt. We don't know why they went to Egypt, but when they start moving towards Egypt, they begin to look towards their own ends, not look towards God. 
When the first fear of Abraham going, wow, my wife is good looking. No, no, my wife is good looking. When that, when that test comes, is he looking to God? And the answer is absolutely not. When our tests come, do we look to God first? We talked about this last week. When God speaks, faith moves. And oftentimes that test it is in our life precisely because God desires us to respond in faith. Think about this for just a minute. Jesus, it says, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, immediately upon be given, being given his mission or his ministry, it says that he was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the desert in order that what? he might be tempted by Satan. You can read these stories in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke in order that he might be tempted by Satan. And three times, Jesus, having, having been driven into the desert, is tested and tested and tested by the enemy of our souls. And when he overcomes the test, he is ready to begin his earthly ministry. So who was doing the testing, God or Satan? It was the Spirit who drove him into the wilderness. Satan is the one trying to tempt him to do the wrong things. What's taking place there? What's taking place there is what the enemy meant for good, or what the enemy meant for evil. The enemy doesn't make, mean anything for your good. Strike that, reverse it. What the enemy meant for evil, God is using for his good. So when the test comes into your life, say, God, what do you want me to do? That should be our first response. It's often our last response. We often go down the rabbit hole before we, ask, after, before we ever ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? God wants us to look to him first and foremost. I remember years ago, I, I mocked my father, and it was wrong. It was disrespectful. I mocked my father because we were thinking about getting a dog, and we did. And after we'd gotten the dog, he said, that was a mistake. I should have asked the Lord first. And I remember thinking to myself, Dad, you don't have to ask the Lord about whether or not to get a dog. We are taking this to the nth degree, this faith thing. Well, I want to tell you, when I get a little bit older, when I, when I see a little bit more of life, I want to seek the Lord more and more before I make decisions. I want to seek the Lord and, and know more and more when tests come what he wants of me. The test for you might be in a relationship today. You might have a relationship that's right in the toilet and God's looking at you and saying, you're going to pull this out in faith or you might be looking at God and saying, no thanks God, I got this. You might have financial hardship today. You, you might have been in that financial place for months and years and God has been using it over and over again to say, are you ever going to trust me with your finances and watch what I can do? The test is there. Will you look to him? And some of you, the test is temptation today. Maybe it's that coping mechanism that you keep running back to. Times are tough and times are weird and times are hard. And you find yourself doing things that make you feel awful. You do them for instant gratification and then you hate yourself afterwards. You turn to, to the world's mechanisms for getting by when God wants you to thrive. You're facing that test right now. 
God's saying, are you looking to me on how to overcome? Or are you just going to manipulate to continue what you're doing? When the test comes, look to God. The second thing today is this. When fear comes, mock your fear. I mean it. Make fun of it. I love when it says of the Proverbs 31 woman, she laughs at the days to come. I love that. So many of us have anxiety about tomorrow. Jesus said, of course, that we're not to worry about tomorrow. The the Proverbs woman, it says she laughs at the days to come. She's not worried because she knows who holds the future. She mocks the days to come because the days to come, the fear that could be associated with that, is overcome by her perfect strength and trust in the Lord her God. How are you doing with fear today? I want to tell you one of the strongest things you can do is you can mock your fear because of who your God is. God has the ability to overcome our fear. I mean, there are psalm after psalm after psalm about this. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Psalm 46 talks about the world crumbling around us but not fearing even if the earth gives way. I mean, the Bible, the story of the Bible in so many respects is God overcoming our fears and human beings being able to say, I trust in the Lord my God and I shall not fear. How's your fear today? One of the strongest things you can do is to make fun of it because you know who holds tomorrow. You know who is in charge of the universe and you know that that fear does not come from him. Mock it, make fun of it, put it to the side and say, you are ridiculous. I will not fear tomorrow. Now I want to tell you that doesn't mean that we don't take precautions for certain things. Please do not jump off the pinnacle of the church and see if God will save you. That's one of the temptations that the devil put before Jesus. Hey, throw yourself down and see if some angels will catch you. I mean, we don't want to put God to the test. We're not in this position where we want to be stupid. We can can have healthy concern about certain things, but don't operate in fear. The third thing is this. When the lie comes, rebuke it. When the lie comes, rebuke it. You know the whisper. You know the voice in your head that makes you fearful. You know the circumstances that you run over and over and over again in the front or the back of your mind that rob you of joy, that rob you of peace, and that make you take things into your own hands that you should leave in the hands of God. You know when the lie comes. One of the strongest lessons I ever learned as a Christian was to rebuke that lie. We don't use the word rebuke a lot. It's sort of an archaic word, I suppose. But I love it because it's strong. It's a strong word. Rebuke that lie. Say to that lie that's coming straight from the enemy into your brain, I rebuke you, get out of here. You don't belong here. That lie that wormed its way into Abraham's mind, it cost him his wife. It was a mess. She was in in the household of another man because he believed the lie, but we don't have to believe the lie. Greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. The Spirit of God can point out that lie, and you can rebuke it. You can put it in a lockbox and kick it in the ocean. Some of us don't think we have that strength or have that power in us, and the answer is you don't in yourself, but the Holy Spirit does. 
So you can say, Holy Spirit, help me to rebuke that lie because that lie is robbing me of joy, robbing me of peace, robbing me of the ability to do what God's calling me to do. Help me to tell that lie off, Holy Spirit, and you watch him do it. I told you that this sermon series was going to be incredibly practical, and this is practical, practical stuff. You know what you can use to tell off the lie? The Word of God. You know, I, I, I am a Bible scholar, right? A Bible scholar. <laughs> I'm a scholar, right? So I am not supposed to suggest this to you, okay? And I'm not going to say that it always works. But the, Lord, I need something, turn the page, it works sometimes. It does. It happened to me weeks and weeks ago. I was sitting right over here in the green room, and I was having a rough day, and I just said, Lord, I need you to speak something to me. And I stopped on a psalm, and I was like, no, oh, that's exactly what I'm dealing with right now. God, thank you. All right, but that's not the best way to, that is not the best way to study the Bible, okay? That's not the best way to study the Bible, but sometimes God is faithful even in that. That's why we need to hide the word of God in our hearts. That's what Jesus used to combat the lies of the enemy when he was in the desert. What did he use? The word of God. He used the scripture itself to say, no, 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 we're not getting into that. So you have the Holy Spirit living in you to help you rebuke the lie, but you have the entire volume of the word of God to help you rebuke the lie. It's important that you read it. It's important that you internalize it. It's important that you know it so that you can rebuke those lies that are just not of God. So when the test comes, we can look to God. When fear comes, we can mock that fear because we know who holds the future. When the lie comes, we can rebuke it with the strength of the Lord. You say, Pastor Matt, I'm already past all three of those. Right now, I'm sitting in my living room and I'm disgusted with myself. I'm in the midst of an epic fail. I didn't look to God when the test came. I started to get fearful. I believed a lie straight from the enemy. And I'm in a mess. What do I do? What you do is you look down in your Bible right now at verse 17. And you say to yourself, but the Lord. You remind yourself that the Lord your God is faithful even when you're faithless. You remind yourself that he is still pouring out his grace on you in spite of your failure. You assure yourself today that your God is full of steadfast love, mercy, and compassion, even for you. You take solace in the fact that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. you recognize that God does not base his goodness to you on your worthiness, your merit, your ability to receive that goodness, 
because of what you've done, you go back to the fact that God pours out his blessing on you and wants to get you through and out of that mess because he loves you. He cares about you. And he is faithful because he can't stop being him. That's what 2 Timothy 2.13 means when it says, God is faithful even when we're faithless, for he cannot disown himself. That means God just can't stop being God. I can stop being faithful at any point. I know that I'm not always the person that I need to be. I know that I can fall into sin and faithlessness. But what I can rely upon is my God. And my God, your God, can't stop being himself. He's faithful even to a man who sold out his family out of fear. And he'll be faithful to you even in spite of a mess or a fail. Maybe today in your life you feel like you're standing center stage and you don't know how to get off. The spotlight is on. The spotlight is on your failure and you're just not sure what to do. Look up. See the fact that your God sees you, knows you, and is going to help you get off that stage of failure and back to where you need to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that so many of us can vacillate between great faith and great fear, good deeds and messy ones, faithfulness and infidelity toward you. God, we thank you that you want to bless us in spite of all this, that you want to bring about your plan for our lives in spite of the times that we take things into our own hands out of fear and make things for good. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are watching right now who are so down on themselves because they haven't been the person that they know you want them to be. I pray, Lord, that if they need to repent and turn and look to you, that they would. But I also pray, Lord, that they would not sit in condemnation today. They wouldn't sit hating themselves when their Creator loves them with all His heart. God, I pray that you'd heal their hearts today, that you'd make them new. I pray for those today, God, who are sitting in a fearful lie, not trusting you for their future. 
God, I pray that they would rebuke that lie today. I pray that they'd write it down, that they'd call it untrue, that they'd claim the word of the Lord over their lives, and that, Lord, you would replace the enemy's lie with your truth. And I pray, Lord, that even though we can be faithless, that you would make us faithful, that we would look like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail me, Lord. Never fail. The shame no longer has a place to hide. Shame no longer has a place to hide For I am not a captive to the lies And I'm not afraid to leave my past behind No, I won't be shaken I won't be shaken Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance when I week you would invade our houses, invade our minds and hearts with your truth. And I pray, Lord, that because your truth wins, we would respond to you in faith. And when God speaks, faith would move. Pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. 
God bless you. We look forward to seeing you this week. Join us for our live chat about the sermon at 1 o'clock on Wednesday. We'll see you soon.